Welcome to the McCovey Croncast. It is Monday, May 16th. I'm Brian Murphy, and with me is... Doug Brazzoni! Um, it's a good week to be a Giants fan, right? It's a good Monday morning, because the Giants are on a five-game winning streak, and uh, they avenged the sweep at the hands of the Diamondbacks from, uh, from last month. And, uh, and the rotation went through without a nuclear holocaust. So I'm going to give the Giants rotation uh, a round of applause. And I encourage you all listening to do the same. But how are you, Doug? I'm doing great. I, uh, I'm, I'm doing this on my phone, so I'm holding it with one hand. So I can't exactly give a round of applause, but I tried to clap with one hand. So hopefully that's coming through. Remember that Simpsons joke? Lisa, sounds like this. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah uh so uh matt kane had two starts that were that that were not vintage matt kane they were kind of like above average matt kane like they were they were some of the best starts that you would ever see from matt kane uh and jake peavy didn't die um (laughs) uh i i guess we can we'll go we're gonna review the week real quickly um but I mean, the main thing is that's got to be a huge relief to the Giants who are starting to sweat it, uh, probably almost as much as we were, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they they had to have been. I mean, the the way that PV and Kane pitched for the first month of the year, you know, we were looking. If the fans are looking for reasons to take Matt Kane out of the rotation, then you know the team has to be kind of looking at each other, thinking, well, how much longer can this be going on before we we pretend he has a fingernail injury (laughs) uh so which still your prediction that that if that happens but i'm pretty sure that with the way that they've pitched it's going to um it's going to carry them on for a prop for a solid month now at this point um yeah no they both had two starts that weren't terrible in a row with kane having two legitimately excellent starts in a row yeah yeah, yeah legitimately excellent starts uh so we were ready to write them off after two starts. Are we ready to say they're back and everything is great after two starts? Um, no. I mean, I would say I'm closer with Kane where, because, you know, we said this a bunch of times on the podcast where Kane has looked for most of the season like he should be good. Um, and PV has not. So I'm just sticking with that, that Kane is closer to being a good pitcher than, than PV, but, you know, bad pitchers can have a couple good starts and you know pv's you know pv start in arizona was good the one he had before that against toronto was not especially good he just sort of escaped from from all the the damage that should have happened it was kind of like a 2014 2015 ryan vogel song song start oh i would say it was even a tick worse than that but you're absolutely right so we'll go back we'll go back uh to Monday, we kind of covered it in the last podcast because we recorded late. But um, just a real quick, again, three to one, a loss. The Giants actually faced a team that were in a worse, that that is currently in a worse offensive slump than the Giants were. Um, And it was sort of, it was one of those like, which two dead cats are going to bounce, which dead cat's going to bounce the highest. And uh, and in this case, it was the Blue Jays. But yeah, PV's start was five innings, five hits, five walks. So he kept his whip at a two. Um, and he had six strikeouts still. And and, uh, and just didn't look good. We got to see the debut of Albert Suarez. And he looked fine. We talked about all this 
We also brought in Hunter. We mentioned Hunter Strickland. He'll be important as we review the week. And Corey Guerin as well will also be important as we review the week. But yes, that PV start was not encouraging. And then that 3-1 to loss, uh, Buster Posey had the day off. And he's someone we should probably talk about now as we roll into this Tuesday game, um, which was a shutout loss and dropped the Giants under 500. 4 to nothing. Uh, Giants fell to 17 and 18. The Blue Jays went to 18 and 17. Uh, again, this was the Tuesday start on May 10th. Jay Happ, not avenging the perfect game because he had already had another start in San Francisco since then. I think it was actually two. Uh, and he actually pitched into the ninth inning. And I kind of think he probably would have, he would have been able to pitch the shutout. It was, he got into trouble in the ninth inning, but the way he was pitching well, first, we'll get to Matt Cain in a second. That was what I was saying, avenging the perfect game. It was a matchup of Hap and Kane for the first time since 2012. Uh, and Jay Hap looked incredible. Uh, he looked like a different pitcher. Uh, and Matt Cain, though, on, the, on that same measure, looked like a different pitcher. He threw eight fantastic innings, seven strikeouts, no walks, six hits. He gave up one home run. Uh, and Derek Law kind of came in and, and made it all kind of, you know, the academic at that point, the giants couldn't score. And then for nothing, you were basically saying it's not going to happen. Um, but Matt Kane looked so he didn't look solid. He looked fantastic the entire game. And J Hap was actually that much better. He was just, a, he was, uh, he was so impressive, um, that I, that I'm gushing about a player who's not a giant, but anyway, um, it was such a, but it was such an encouraging start from Matt Kane. Again, running into a team that probably offensively was in a worse slump than the Giants, but he, he couldn't handle Troy Tulowitzki. That is his nemesis. He did a home run off of him, uh, to, did Tulowitzki. But uh, other than that, he the strikeouts were encouraging, and just the way he looked, he kind of just scattered any damage that was in there. Um, and his fastball held, and his breaking balls were working great. And it was it was. I was happy. I was not even that upset that the Giants lost because of that game. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think, you know, if, if he turned a corner, the key was probably that he didn't give up any runs in the fifth inning that game. Right. right. <laughs> um, we had joked on the podcast earlier that day that he was going to give up at least three runs in the fifth inning. So when he didn't, it was like, oh, maybe he's going to be good this time. That's right. Uh, it was <laughs> like a mental block if he could just get over that hump. Um, That's the point at which I think we let ourselves believe that it was actually going to be a good start and not a, well, it was almost a good start and I'm hopeful for next time. Yeah. And I, and, and that's the thing This Sunday start was, was pretty much more of the same. And, and so you could be forgiven for, you know, dreaming big now, two really great starts um, against, I would say, you know, the Blue Jays offensively are a well-constructed team. But they are struggling a little bit, and we can talk about that too. But here's the thing: I'm I'm actually not dinging him uh, for doing well against a team that's struggling because when you're a bad pitcher, you don't do well against the teams that are struggling. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> when when you're a bad pitcher, what happens yeah. is the struggling teams who should be better do well against you. Right, and and I think it could very easily have gone the other way that, you know, we've seen many of t many times that the Giants roll into town and the struggling team is suddenly healthy again uh, because he gets to face the Giants pitching. And that's baseball too. And so he was able to essentially minimize the damage. But can we just talk about how much – I wrote about this in my recap, but, I mean, Jay Happ looks like a different pitcher. 
from four yeah. years ago. Uh, he's yeah, not so a, oh, go he's ahead. much better. He's yeah. he's legitimately impressive now. Yeah. A few years ago, he was on the 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 Astros, and you know anyone who's on the 2012 Astros who's still in the major leagues must be doing something differently. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think the the thing that you know you look at his like Brooks effects. If you look at the pitch effects of him. He's not he's not a crafty lefty, which I think would be the assumption, right? Four years, he's four years older, so you'd expect that he's like, okay, he must be hitting the corners and whatever. No, his fastball fastball velocity is up. He's using his cutter a lot more, uh, and, and and I think he just it's kind of a sort of a sort of a one of those situations where sorry, I was confusing conversations. I was having a conversation about the Warriors before we started <laughs> recording. And uh, my friend was asking me why J- Draymond Green is who he is, and I, it's this is these are the same answers. I'm giving one answer for two things, <laughs> and that is I think someone just took what was there that was good about them and said just do more of that, you know. <laughs> right. And and I think that's the case with Jay Happ, who always had a, a not above 90s fastball, and now he's throwing 92, 93 regularly, and he had a good cutter. So, um, you know, can pe- can pitchers get better as they get older? Sure. Can they learn to pitch? differently or with what they have absolutely and i think there's a good parallel with matt kane matt kane doesn't necessarily have that uh upper level of his fastball anymore that late movement that might induce pop-ups so he can still be an effective pitcher we can see that he still throws 91 92 that hasn't changed uh and he's still got a breaking he's still got a slider and he's got a curveball and he he could be you know he's learning how to pitch we talked about all this stuff and learning how to pitch with like the new range of motion whatever it is and uh, and so now it could just be a sequencing thing, as well. So here's hoping. Yeah, absolutely. We if if the Giants have a a, a good Matt Kane, then that te- then the team's prospects become a whole lot brighter. And this is what we talked about last week. You know, if if they are now only having to dress the wound of one rotation spot <laughs> and to, instead of the whole arm of basically two spots, then it you know you're in a lot better uh, situation. Uh, than that so that was probably the best uh shutout that like (laughs) like i was the least upset by a shutout ever just because of the encouraging sign from that and then also jay hap looked incredible and it was sort of like well the giants have a lot of left-handed hitters uh good luck guys (laughs) (laughs) um but buster posey over four one thing i should bring up so we had a night off on Monday, and then Tuesday he comes in, goes over four, and has a strikeout. Uh, Buster Posey, at that point last during the week, I was definitely leaning into. There's a problem here. Is he secretly injured? They're not saying anything. He's got no power going on right now. Um, and what about you, Doug? Where were you on that? I mean, I, I I didn't think he was secretly injured or anything. I was just kind of, man, this is a bad slump. Uh, because you know. Baseball players have slumps. They're humans. They, most of them, uh, looking at you, Hunter, hmm. they will sometimes just be bad for a little while. And so it's, you know, it was sort of in the back of my mind that Buster was was doing very badly and that it might be indicative of something. But at no point when he came up was like, oh, man, Buster. Like, <laughs> like you would say for, I don't know who I want to insult on the roster right now. Uh, like you would have said for Ari Adrianza the last couple of years before he was great this year and then hurt himself, you know, like that sort of sense where somebody comes up, you're like, Oh God, like it's hopeless. Um, 
and there wasn't that it wasn't really close to that but it was it was getting closer to there just because you know he was over what was it over 24 or something yeah on a homestand where he on a homestand he hits well at AT at&t park yeah so i mean that's that's worrying and you sort of try to convince yourself that it's nothing it's not something greater than that but um he has had slumps before. He has had extended slumps before. He was notably pretty awful in the second half of 2013. Um, it didn't get talked about a lot, but... Because the team he, was bad. Because <laughs> the team was bad, yeah. But he, he had a very long extended slump there. And um, his OPS, I just looked it up, his OPS in the second half in 2013 was 643. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's something that he is capable of that he's also capable of rebounding from. And uh, I, some one thing I kind of remember about 2011 before he was knocked out for the season was that he was in, you know, it's a second season essentially, uh, and he was he kind of got off to a slow start, and I seem to recall heading into that Marlins series, it seemed like he was starting to get the, his bat going again, and then he got knocked out, and then it was over. So that's an early season, another example of starting off kind of slow early in the season, um, but you know. I think, you know, the Giants, when they're going bad offensively, it, it's you could pick on anybody, really. You know, you can still look at – but Brandon Belt's still drawing walks. You know, that's that kind of thing. And when Buster Posey's bad, he's not doing anything. Um, right. He's, he's playing as bad as a backup catcher at that point. So the Giants dropped 17-18. Let's just roll it into the – you know, now, they're, now it's uh, the final game of the series. They're facing who I think is the Blue Jays' best pitcher in Marcus Stroman. Uh, Marcus Stroman's fantastic. You know, Madison Bumgarner is great, but you know, it's the Blue Jays. They have a chance to sweep the series. The Giants can't score. They're doing badly. And the Giants pull out a win in 13 excruciating innings, of course, (laughs) but they win five to four and they get back to 500. Madison Bumgarner didn't look great for, for kind of early going, but then he kind of righted it out a little bit and he still made it into the seventh inning. He walked four. He had three hits. Um, I think there was some umpiring hijinks with the walks a little tiny bit. But other than that, the Giants were able to get to Marcus Stroman pretty easily. Um, and then, and then, unfortunately, the bullpen. <sighs> Corey Garen the bullpen. Got, yeah, the they, the bullpen did its thing. Corey Garen got a hold despite giving up two earned runs. So I don't know. Baseball doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, and Santiago Casilla had a blown save, which has a, which uh, if you're like writing this dramatically, it has a setup for, for the rest of the week. <laughs> it was foreshadowing to some problems later, but uh, 13 excruciating innings, I would say. And that was a day game. And it basically ended like a third of the way or four innings into an East coast start of a night game. It was, it started at 1245 and it didn't end. Um, Buster Posey still went one for six in that game. So, you know, you weren't exactly going, Oh, he's back. But Matt Duffy had a, had a great game and the giants finally get a win. And it's the first win of the now five game winning streak. Yeah. Um, I mean, bum, I mean, bummer story was sort of the, the whole team story where he was, it's not that he was bad, but you kind of just look for him to be a little bit better. And so he was, you know, he fought, I know it's only one run in, in almost seven innings, but five strikeouts and four walks are not a great ratio. Uh, and then the bullpen came in and Garen, Corey Garen got out of the, the, uh, the top of the seventh inning 
after um after Bumgarner had hit somebody with a pitch. And then Garen had some trouble in the set in the in the eighth. Uh, Josh Osich came in and and exacerbated that a little bit by giving up a one by by letting one of Garen's runs score. And Casilla gave up a leadoff homer in the ninth. And Santiago Casilla, you know, we had been talking for a couple weeks about how he was underrated and great. So that's kind of our fault, probably. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, we we'll take our lumps on that one. <laughs> well, Casillas is showing some vulnerability to left-handed hitters this season in particular, but it's small sample size, I would say. Yeah, well, that happened last year, too. That's sort of the worrying part about it, that he was notably worse last year against lefties. Like, he was awful last year against lefties. Um, but after Casilla, you know, the, the bullpen was pretty good. Uh, Strickland had, had a good inning. Uh, D- Derek Law had almost two good innings. Uh, Albert Suarez... Got a little bit lucky with the the runner getting thrown out at second because he gave up three hits in one inning. In one inning, but hey, no runs. That works. <laughs> Let's go walk it back to what you're saying. Follow it up. So versus left-handed hitters last year, uh, you're not kidding. He had an 8.41 OPS or left-handed hitters had an 8.41 OPS off of Santiago Casilla. For comparison, right-handed hitters 5.31 OPS. So that is. Cat, he is essentially a platoon pitcher in that in that situation. That is really bad. Uh, and for for this year, he's at eight twenty nine OPS versus lefties. So I'm not sure. Uh, uh, I'm using OPS obviously, but his on the on base percentage is two fifty. But we're talking about twenty plate appearances against lefties. Two home runs is where where it all comes down to. So it, that that is worrisome that that's happening. And that seems to me to be kind of in line with what the problem with the Giants' bullpen is, which I'm not sure. We Maybe we can get an actual baseball pitcher in here one day, Major League pitcher, <laughs> pitcher in here. But I'm not sure how much pitch selection uh, affects location mistakes. But if you look at all the Giants' meltdowns or problems with the bullpens, I mean, these are pitches right down the middle. These are not like getting beat on that we'll, in the Arizona series uh I think um Gene Segura had a really good uh hit on a slider that was sort of that was diving out of the strike zone but for the, that scored that was an RBI but for the most part it's all just like down the middle these are just like fastballs right down the middle <laughs> you know you're not fooling anybody and it's not like Casillas throwing 96 97 anymore that's been the case for a while uh, but these are just mistakes right into the wheelhouse of pitchers. So I'm not sure what if one causes the other or if there's a way to affect that. But you can't say that these guys don't have the ability, essentially. There, there's there's something amiss that seems like it could be corrected. Yeah, you would think. Just because the pitches that they throw would also be bad pitches. You know, The, the bad pitches Kizia throws to lefties would also be bad pitches to righties. Yeah, they're just bad pitches, um, and and it, you know he, he can just shake... happens to throw more of them to lefties apparently. Yeah, well, and also just the left, you know, the left-hander. What's going to be a power or a pull pitch for them? You know, a right-hander is still most hitters are pull hitters for the most part. So they're gonna if they get a, a bad pitch in that same location and they try to pull it, it's not going to be a home run most of the time. But it would be for, it would definitely be one for a for a left-hander most of the time. It's going to be coming into them. Um, I, I, but he shakes off, he, I, I don't think he gets his pitches called from the dugout, you know? So he can't, he does have some effect on that. Uh, he can shake off Posey and, and all that kind of stuff. 
so that's possible. Um, you know, left-handers, it, it's it stinks watching left-handers come into AT&T Park and and hit home runs out. You'd like to see the Giants do that more often. <laughs> you know, you'd like to see. You know, if Brandon Belt had really made that made a McCovey Cove his own, I don't think anyone would have had a problem with that. Um, it's not like Bonds made it sacrosanct, but it seems like he's the only one who can't hit the ball in the water. We're still waiting for Splash 69 is basically it. We might devote an entire podcast to Splash 69, in fact. We could. <laughs> it would It would be our best podcast ever. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I want to also go back to something, you know, one run in basically six and two-thirds inning from Madison Bumgarner. That's a great start. Let's not mince words there. Again, it was against a team that was struggling offensively, and it was Madison Bumgarner not looking quite as sharp. But uh, he also managed to pitch into the seventh inning, um, and he threw 116 pitches. And so starting with this Bumgarner start, um, something we noticed, or something that was brought up, I can't remember the source now, if it was McCovey Chronicles, which we should all read every day, but that uh, Bochy's going to let the starters kind of go into the seventh inning. Uh, a little bit, you know, wanting to get pitchers through seven innings, through minimize that bullpen usage and let the guys throw a lot of pitches. We saw Samarja has back-to-back starts now where it's already well above 100 pitches. Um, and I think he's going to let the horses be horses at this point. And this is certainly one of those games to kind of really solidify that idea as much as he can get away with it, I think. Yeah, and probably a lot of that is just it's hard to trust anyone in the bullpen right now. Um, but... <laughs> they're not going to stop adding people to it though. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Contos should be back tomorrow. Uh, that's, that's what people are saying at some point. Roma will be back. He threw off a bullpen mound the first time last week. So it'll be all a while longer for him, but it just, all of the guys in the bullpen seem to have flaws. Which is weird because who has flaws in a major league bullpen? <laughs> uh, well, um, they they all seem to be good, uh, maybe from batter to batter, but not inning to inning. Right, exactly. So it's hard to trust them. So he wants the starters to stretch out as much as they can uh, to avoid use, overusing them. And you know, you saw it. You saw it yesterday with uh, with Kane's start, where in in a lot of ways he probably could have been pulled after six, and it would have been a smarter move. But Bochi sort of took the gamble on letting him pitch the seventh, and uh, it almost didn't pay off. <laughs> <laughs> but Kane got out of it without allowing a run, and uh, and it worked out for the team. So we're in, now into Arizona. We're on Thursday, and the start of a four-game series, and uh, the Giants pull out a win, four to two. And this is a start again where Johnny Cueto he's he throws 115 pitches, seven innings, nine strikeouts. Looked pretty good. I think this was uh, and they they hit Zach Greinke really hard, and this is the first time in Zach Greinke's career that he'd ever lost to the Giants, which I think is kind of surprising because I, I you know they would they would play him close in a lot of the games with the Dodgers, but I guess they never did win. Now that I think about it, but um, I kind of want to just talk about the Diamondbacks series as a whole. We can kind of just jump around. I think. Um, it's still fresh in everyone's minds, right? But I want to point out that on this game, the first game of the series, the Giants called up Clayton Blackburn. So I think, you know, and they brought him in specifically to be a long reliever out of the bullpen. So in my mind, the Giants were sort of girding themselves for this is Arizona. The ball tends to jump. The Diamondbacks played us hard the last time. 
our bullpen's been kind of shaky. Let's get some extra insurance into the bullpen. <laughs> uh, that that and that's what it seemed like it was prepping for. That they were kind of thinking this could blow up in our faces, and he didn't wind up pitching. But uh, interesting that they'd add a guy not doing that well in AAA to a bullpen that is not doing very well. Yeah, it is. Um, so Blackburn, for those of you who don't know, Blackburn is a is the kind of prospect who has always had better results than stuff, which, you know, there, there are a lot of pitchers like that, but you know, he's, you know, pitchability guy, the fastball is not going to go much. It, it'll hit 90 pretty regularly, but not much past that. Um, he has a really good curveball, but he's a starter. And so probably what they were thinking when they called him up was either PV or Kane is going to run into some tr- early trouble and we needed to have the length in the bullpen to address that. Uh, and it turns out they didn't need him, which yeah. is which is great for the team. Uh, and we're all happy about that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he, you know, he ha- he has not been great this year in AAA. Last year he led the PCL and ERA, so that was probably more what they were thinking that they know the talents in there, they know the pitchabilities in there. If he works with uh, Buster Posey or even Trevor Brown, who he really likes working with, then. They figured, and they, you know, there's Rigetti, there's Gardner. They probably figured they were going to be able to to keep him in for a couple innings and have him be relatively effective. That'd be my guess. Uh, I think, you know, all things considered, that it's it's Peavy the the one they're hoping or they're they're going to piggyback him with. It seems to me, yeah. I mean, if you just look at, well, we'll get to that in a second. Another really just solid, good Johnny Cueto start. Just sort of, you don't really worry about him at this point he looks good as long as he's healthy i, I think it's it's fine um one th- i want to there's a big controversy in this game if you don't remember friday night already or thursday already um which is fine maybe you had a great weekend um, but one <laughs> thing i want to point out is that joe panic hit a bomb in this game uh and joe panic when he unleashes his swing uh when he unleashes that big swing of his uh, I don't know if he would appreciate this comp, and I don't even like saying it, but Ryan Klesko is starting to come to mind here. <laughs> <laughs> when he uncorks on one, and he's just kind of got that back, when he's got the hand up, he's got the hands out. Right. Um, he just crushed a ball. Uh, and and it's great because you don't, Grant tweeted about this, you know, you or he wrote about this, that he you wouldn't have projected Joe Panic to hit for even this much power. You know, he's and so everything you we we have gotten from him since he's been called up since he's joined the team has been, I would say, above the scouting reports and sort of above the best case scenarios for this guy. And he continues. He's starting to kind of come on strong here. Um, and I'm just glad his back hasn't fallen out, <laughs> fallen off. Um, <laughs> yeah, Joe Panic is really Exhibit A for how the Giants know something that no one else knows. <laughs> I mean, he just he just has to be, right? They draft him the first round when he was the who? You know, he was that guy that nobody expected to go that well, early. I want to be clear on this. This is my recollection of the Joe Panic move. I remember very clearly uh, Keith Law saying, like, it's a questionable first round move, but he's a solid prospect who projects to be a utility player. Which to me is not an insult. That's him them saying like he can be with a middle infielder somewhere, play in the infield and be off the bench and be a pinch hitter and be good. I think anytime you project to be a major league hitter or being good enough to be in the major leagues, you're a good baseball player. 
That that is, so that's not automatically an insult to me. I, I think that if you're being drafted and your ceiling is being a utility player in the major leagues, which is basically what they're saying, that he had a high likelihood of being a not that good player, but in the majors, that is that is a very that is not the kind of player that you want as a first round pick. Well, it's the Giants. That's where the criticism came in that the Giants were reaching. But now this is to your point about the Giants see something that nobody else sees. What if, Doug, what if they're simply taking singles hitters and somehow figuring out a way to turn them into doubles hitters? And then <laughs> the doubles hitters, because they just fill out, they become power hitters. So maybe that's all the adjustment is. Maybe the adjustment is like, we don't need you to hit home runs. We're going to teach you how to hit doubles. And by teaching you how to hit doubles, now suddenly you are you might become a home run threat. I don't know. I'm just grasping <laughs> at straws here. But, you know, Joe Panic as he kind of fits that profile of being good on contact, he's able to inside out the ball very nicely. And he has good at-bats. He takes pitches. Uh, and he plays amazing defense. Uh, we should not forget at all. He made an incredible play in this game, right? <laughs> so, That's right. Where he, he, it was reminiscent of his World Series play, but I would say, you know, it's not the pressure is different. It was a cooler looking play that he made uh, in, in this game. That was a shovel kind of scoop hook, a sky hook. That's what the description was uh, to start a double or to get the final out of an inning. Uh, no, to start a double play. To start a double play. Uh, and, and, uh, and he's just been impressive all the way around. And so even if you take it out of, okay, he's not a utility player, that whatever the Giants had him as, I'm pretty sure they didn't. This is still best case scenario for what the Giants were hoping. He's been really impressive. That's all. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> he has. And, you know, it's important to remember that some of the kind of giving up on him as a prospect happened because he was pretty bad with Richmond. When he was in, in double A, he he was he didn't really impress anyone um when he you know when he was in San Jose it was kind of yeah he's it's not that he's bad but he's not quite good enough um then we, he got to Richmond and his OPS did not get out of the 600s it was i think 680 um and then in AAA he just started lighting it up the next year and so he kind of up and down and up and down prospect wise and Giants called him up and we all saw what happened in 2014 and We've seen his defense. We've seen that he has, he's kind of a presence in the lineup now. And it's it's incredible what's happened with Joe Panic and how the work he's done, the work the team's done, and just everyone has really come together for him to be a great player so far. And I can't, you know, I can't, uh, there is, this is proof positive that there is no predicting or finding correlation or anything like that. Matt Duffy was not a guy in the minor leagues that you look at and go, he's a starting third baseman for a major league team, you know, and win a world series or, you know, play in a world series or be a playoff contender. And, you know, Matt Duffy comes out of nowhere. Then you have the Gary Browns of the world or the Mac Williamson's of the world where you're like, this is the guy, of course. And then nothing, or it doesn't happen right away, or you're not sure what's going on and you never find out. And there's, so, folks, prospects will break your heart, but they will also just make you angry because they're confusing as hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is true. So the other thing, of course, about the, the Thursday night game was that was the Santiago Casilla yelling game. That's right. And uh, if, if you've forgotten, Santiago Casilla started the ninth. He gave up a couple hits and a walk, and the bases were loaded. 
And Bruce Bochy came out and removed him from the game in favor of Javier Lopez to face Jake Lamb, a left-hander who had hit a home run off Casilla uh, a month earlier. A bomb off of him. Yeah. <laughs> he crushed it. Uh, yeah, and and Santiago Casilla did not want to come out of the game. He left the mound, and then he turned back around because I think he thought, there's no way he, he meant I should go. And then he turned around, and Bruce Woodrow was like, no, no, I meant it. Get the hell out of here. And <laughs> and so that caused some consternation. And Casilla slept on it. And he goes in Bochy's office the next day and apologizes and because he respects Bochy. And I think that was a ballsy move that, that only two guys who had worked together for as long as they have could possibly get away <laughs> with. That Bochy had to know that some version of what happened would have been what happened. Because if that's, you know, if that's the new closer, if the Giants had traded for Drew Storen, you know, for some reason, like before the season started, and Bochi did that, I don't think, you know, Drew Storen is going to respond well to that for the rest of the season, and he's going to be looking over his shoulder. And Casilla still might, but I think that they've been together for so many years uh, that he kind of gets where Bochi's coming from. And he put, you know, Bochi put stock in Casilla when Romo was faltering, and so I think he gets it. I think he's seen what what the what the thought process is here, and you'd like to think that that's not going to be a worsening problem as we progress. Right. It seems like they kind of made their peace with it. And Casilla, from all from all accounts, is a pretty even keeled guy who was just mad at at the end of that game. And well, you know, wouldn't you be? Time. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't no, I, yeah. I'm not like blaming him. Grant yeah. wrote a whole article about how that's fine. That's what you want from a closer. Um, which I'm assuming you read. I did everyone. read, of course. Yes, everyone read. <laughs> great content, great content every day on McCoveyChronicles.com. That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Casilla took some time to think about it and went in and apologized. And, you know, I'm sure he still feels like he doesn't want that to happen, but he also probably feels like he shouldn't have had a public blow up like that. Well, yeah. And, and I think if nothing else, he could be forgiven for simply being shocked. Yeah. Uh, and, and that everyone handles shock or anger or whatever in different ways. And sure. He was surprised by his reaction too, uh, which has certainly seemed that way. Um, and one more thing I want to just say about this game before we move on, cause it snapped a losing streak for the giants and it was against Zach Greinke, which again, baseball makes no sense. Uh, they would <laughs> suddenly come to life offensively, but simply that, uh, and, and also I do want to say one more thing that Grant wrote another article about this was the offseason matchup, the guy we could have had versus the guy we did get. And uh, another a great point about the recap, I mean, he wrote that in the recap, but it was something that like at this point, I'm not even thinking about a, a month ago, like literally a calendar month ago, I'd have been like, oh, Zach Greinke, what could have been? And now it's just like, you know what? Uh, sort of what we talked about in the offseason, Doug, sort of like, you know what? I think the Giants did the best that they could and let's hope this all works out. And I don't know. Maybe would you want to go back and just have Granky instead of Cueto and Samarja, or is that too much? Like now we're looking back and seeing the results. I mean, right now the way it's gone so far, obviously you wouldn't. You'd take either. You take either Cueto or Samarja over Granky. Um, right. Is it going to be like that in the future? I I don't want to predict that because uh, I want to predict that they'll be better and Zach Granky will cry a lot. <laughs> But that would be really petty of me. Uh, I think, you know, 
I think getting two really quality arms uh, instead of one is probably always the best case scenario, especially when one when the really good one, Zach Greinke is one of the top, probably top 10 pitcher in baseball. The results right now don't show that, but, you know, he's older, so there's that element too. But anyway, it's all to my point of I was nervous that he brought in Javier Lopez because Javier Lopez has not shown uh, his usual ability of getting left-handers out. So that was a little worrisome to me. <laughs> a little bit, uh, but it all worked out. It so all I think worked out. About that. All right. Uh, so then we'll go into uh, the Friday night game, Friday the thirteenth, and uh, Jeff Samarja's start, and the Giants won three to one. They're up to twenty and eighteen. And did I mention that Joe Panic hit a bomb? He hit a he. Cr- it was the most no doubt that you can that you can <laughs> see off of a of a baseball swing. Uh, and he absolutely destroyed Shelby Miller, who was, in a lot of ways, because Zach Greinke was just money. Shelby Miller, the, there was a lot, you know, the Diamondbacks gave a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get Shelby Miller. They traded some good prospects, and they ate some money, and it was a big move for them. And Shelby Miller, more than Zach Greinke, has not worked out yet for them. And he was he was sort of just starting to find his his rhythm again, and the Giants just kind of hobbled that <laughs> uh, yeah. they, they were not impressed <laughs> they were not impressed i mean you know for a while he looked good and the giants just were grounding to double play after double play uh that that was very dispiriting and then joe panic was like nuts to that <laughs> i believe he actually said that he did you can hear it on the broadcast <laughs> if you go back and, and listen really closely because he's a very and polite person yes <laughs> he's so polite it's very it's one of his best qualities really <laughs> And he, that ball that he, that he hit, it, it was so crushed. Like it, the only question about it, and it was barely a question because of the way that, you know, Dwayne Kuyper was talking about it was whether it was going to be fair. Like, cause off the bat and with the camera work, you're like, oh, that might go foul. But that ball was just so destroyed that you kind of go, yes, yeah, that's, that's what a home run looks like. And then you move on because there's just nothing else you can do. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he hit it so hard it didn't have time to go foul. Right, exactly. And that's really what happened with it. Um, <laughs> and so the Giants getting three runs, fine. Uh, but Jeff Samarja really pitching. Well, hold on. I want to say this. Angel Pagan was back in the lineup. So That's right. This he is won. an important point. Uh, Doug wrote a fantastic article, which you should have read. Um, well, hold on. You should first go listen to the Dwayne Kuyper call if you somehow missed the game of Joe Panic's home run. It's really great. But then you should then, after that, read Doug's article about how the Giants never put Angel Pagan on the DL, um, which was written prior to this game. Uh, and it was funny that the beat writers were very um, sort of sort of like matter-of-factly saying like, okay, Pagan's coming back now. He hasn't played in two weeks. And and it was sort of like, shouldn't they have put him on the DL? And and the beat writers were sort of acting dumb, like, no, why would they do that? They wouldn't do that. They thought he could be ready at any minute. Why have him, Why leave the Ferrari in the garage, <laughs> essentially? Uh, and when Pagan came back, it, you know, he went one for two, he had a walk, and, and, and he, he looked good. He looked fine. But he should yep. have been on the disabled list. <laughs> right. I mean, yes, he, he helped the Giants win that game, but perhaps having a different player on the team for the two weeks prior to that would have helped the Giants win a couple other games. I'm not saying that having Mac Williamson and Jarrett Parker on the roster would have necessarily helped them, but I don't think it would have hurt them. 
<laughs> no, they they'd have gone fourteen relievers. It'd yeah. have been great. Yeah, they it would have really screwed uh, the AAA team. But <laughs> uh, and a, another great uh, Jeff Samarja to start um, eight innings, one run, only three strikeouts. I like when he strikes out a lot of people, but he uh, and he, he kind of did one of those scattering eight hits. He gave up a triple to the pitcher though, which is a little disconcerting. But and it was it was struck very hard. But you know what this game kind of reminds what that triple reminded me of was that you know I think the the pitchers of the National League are going to fight to keep pitchers hitting in the National League. I think that's what's happening, Doug. I think so we're starting to see. Yeah, it seems like it. They're really enjoying it. Like yeah. there there's been a lot of fun pitchers hitting this year. From you know Bumgarner's homered. Uh, Syndergaard hit two homers in a game, and that was the only offense for the Mets. Uh, Bartolo was... Colon hit a home run. Bar- Bartolo <laughs> homered. I mean, Bartolo homered. If even if the league was going to put in the DH, you know, in the NL, I think they would set it back by at least five years because of that one home run. And you know, some of the people who are you know they don't really have a horse in the race, or they don't care. They go, you know, pitchers will hit better when pitchers hit more and specialization has sort of killed it. You know, they put the DH in the minor leagues. They don't have to. There's nothing that says they have to, you know, they do that because they want to get their prospects as many at bats as possible. And I can't, I can't blame organizations for wanting to do that. But the idea that pitchers should only focus on one thing is, is a little silly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get the argument that people don't want to watch pitchers hit, but I prefer to me that's baseball. To other people, that's not baseball, and that's where we get our civil war. I mean, that's where we have the ideological clash. <laughs> um, so another great shark start, which we talked. He had two great um, starts the week before, and I'm happy to keep talking about him pitching so well. And it's it's nice to see. <laughs> it's it's great to see. Um, I was not exactly expecting this when the Giants signed him, and then I started expecting it over the off season for no reason. And Other then, than I wanted him to. Well, I was on board all the way, but spring training really started to make me worried. Uh, but right. to, to be fair, it made me worry about all the Giants, every single person on the team. Every one of them, <laughs> yeah. yes. Uh, and so this is weird. The next game, Giants win 5-3. to three. Uh, Not that that's weird, but what was strange was sort of you'd started to hear rumblings on our site, McCovey Chronicles. Again, got to be reading it every week, but also in our previous podcast which i cut for time but we had talked about and that was denard span not that great um and he had a four for four game and he's starting to look he hasn't looked terrible the entire season that was sort of what we landed on um but he, he sort of you know do more man yeah. <laughs> uh because especially since it's not like he's a a ball soak up he doesn't get to every ball which is fine i'm just saying like do hit for a little more power he had a hit a triple in the game uh he he's been walking okay but you know seeing a four for four when you're starting to wonder like hey man can you kind of pick it up when everyone else is kind of slumping but suppose he's still kind of slumping matt duffy hasn't really put it together um and he did well and so great and uh and that was the start where jake Peavy somehow survived through the second inning right <laughs> Which yeah, is that's... sort of the bigger thing. Um, yeah, I mean, PV, PV is the headline, but that's Stan being four for four with a hit by pitch. So getting on base five times in five opportunities was a huge part of why the Giants won. Um, against, not against... just. Go ahead. Yeah. 
not just like the two runs he scored, but sort of lengthening the lineup, making everyone throw more pitches. Um, and, you know, he tripped that first inning triple, which is how they, which is basically how they scored. Um, the whole, the whole package was that, that game was the one that showed you why they signed Denard Span. Like, not that they expect him to go four for four every game, but that that's the kind of when, when he's going right, that's the kind of player that you'll see. Um, and he was impressive. And Patrick Corbin, another sort of, he was the dark horse candidate to be the stud of the Diamondback staff. And he still very well could be. I mean, he's really good. And but the, again, the Giants were just not that impressed with him. Um, he did pitch into the seventh inning. But uh, the Giants, you know, the bats just kind of came alive to came to life a little bit in Arizona, which bats tend to do. Um, Buster Posey started to get going. He had a double. I think that was his first extra base hit of the season. So that was nice to see. <laughs> and it was a game-winning double, too. Yep. yep. And uh, and that was a game where we can now get into the other, the soft underbelly of Hunter Strickland. And uh, who won't hear this? Because he's got us, he's got this podcast blocked. Um, <laughs> but uh, Hunter Strickland, are, are you worried about him? <laughs> Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, he, not, not to spoil anything, but he came in yesterday and did a great job, but, uh, I was worried when he came in, I was thinking, Oh God, here we go. And that was, a lot of that was based on what he did on Saturday, which he came in and he had a very bad inning. Yeah. Very bad inning. So did Derek law too, which really hurts. Cause that means yeah. I, I broke him, uh, <laughs> with my love. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just a quick note on Derek Law. Bochy said they're going to use him a little, going to try to use him a little bit less in the future, which I mean, which makes sense with Contos coming back. So he'll be pitching every day. So Derek Law won't have to. <laughs> but um, Law's fastball has been a little bit slower lately than uh, than you want to see from him, and he's been leaving more pitches up, which those are kind of symptoms of overuse. The yeah. Giants think. Yeah. So if they ease back on him, hopefully he'll be great. Uh, one guy they've also got to worry about uh, is Josh Osich, who's pitched, I think, in 22 of the 40 games so yeah, far, and that's a problem. That is too many, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's uh, it's makes sense he's been effective, and they want him to be the next Affelt, and I get it, but you're you he might not be anybody <laughs> if they just keep using him this much. Uh, but it would be nice if Hunter Strickland was a guy they could go to a little more often. I think... The reason why they went to Strickland in the in the um, eighth is because you know they were kind of like you they weren't going to use Casilla in this game, and yeah. uh, and and that was a problem. They were hoping Strickland could close it down, and then Garen could come in and get the save like he wound up doing, uh, which was kind of weird. But at the same time, this this is what we had talked about was like I trust Garen more than Strickland at this point. But I think the Giants were just hoping like I think we can do one game. We're Strickland setting up again, uh, and that didn't quite work out. But then, let's just roll right into Sunday. Let's burn through all this. Uh, yeah, then we have we have the Sunday game where the Giants pull out a a tough win. This was a tough win, two to one. And Strickland, hey man, Strickland didn't lose the game on on Saturday. <laughs> That's what he'll say. And uh, and and Matt Cain has another great start, but uh, Strickland gets the win. When uh when the Giants finally punched through in the ninth inning, with uh with some very nice <laughs> with with some very nice late offense, it's kind of nice to see that the Giants' offense can come alive late. Uh, Posey the night before, and then uh, Crawford here in in Sunday's game. Um, anyway, 
Strickland looked about the same to me, and it just seemed like he was spotting his pitches a little bit better. But I haven't seen much 97 from him this season, especially of late. He's been mostly 95, um, and I'm not sure if that's going to work for him because he's not the best at commanding his pitches or controlling I mean, yeah, his pitches. So that that's the thing, right? You say he, he didn't look better, but he was able to spot his pitches better, which if he can do that, then sure, throw 95 all you want, buddy. Right. Um, but he got, he got, so he came in after Lopez had walked whoever he'd faced. And, uh, and Strickland got a grounder to Connor Gillespie, who was able to get one out on it because Connor Gillespie's <laughs> arm is not the greatest. That's right. And, and so Hunter Strickland's like, okay. And then he got a double play ball from the next batter to Brandon Crawford, which was a much better plan. Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> Um, and so he got out of the inning, which, and that's, that, that is actually, I think a pretty encouraging thing that if you see Hunter Strickland getting ground balls, oh, it's great. then yeah. that is, that's fantastic because then he's not giving up fly balls, uh, because those fly balls can tend to turn into home runs. And again, Hunter Strickland, Hunter Strickland will never hear this because even though he vanity searches on Twitter, he won't hear this. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and. And it was a sort of that getaway day in that in that sense of the lineup. But you know, Ruby De La Rosa, I I thought he's been a solid prospect all along and all that. And he he certainly you know pitched in the seventh inning, had seven strikeouts, four walks. But I mean, the one hit he gave up was definitely you know great for Trevor Brown to just destroy that location mistake. That you know that was something that basically hitters all season have been doing against every mistake the Giants seemed to make but uh he really got into that one when he hit his home run and that that was the run that gave the giants the lead but then of course um kane gave it back in the the next or an an inning later um but it's you know trevor brown has been a surprise continues to be a surprise uh offensively for them (laughs) yeah i mean one of one of the things i tweeted after that homer was that that was his fourth homer of the year at no other time in his professional career has he hit four home runs in any year or at any level. So like it in San Jose, he hit three homers in Fresno. He hit or in, in triple a in Sacramento, he hit like three homers. And now in, in one year, in a month and a half in the majors, is at four. I think he's been, I think he's taken some of Buster Posey's power. That's what's happened. That's what's yeah, happened. That's, that seems likely. I think, uh, Posey's taking a nap somewhere and he's just kind of come by and sucked his soul out a little bit. I don't know. Trevor Brown could be into some weird shit. We don't know. Um, well, I mean, you saw after his homer, right? <laughs> Posey was one of the guys who tried to high five him. <laughs> Trevor Brown just blew right past him. So. That's right. <laughs> um, are we going to start a rumor that there's a feud in the clubhouse? Yes. Yeah. We're yeah. very irresponsible. That's right. Uh, we want people to listen to us to hear more about it. Uh, is Trevor Brown single white femaling Buster Posey? <laughs> I think that I might think be that, <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's the most likely scenario. Uh, so Matt Cain, again, just looks looked really good. Seven innings, like you said, maybe a little risky to bring him back out in the seventh. Uh, but, you know, he's just, he made it over that hump of the fifth inning again. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and that was great. I want to jump back real quick to the PV start, because one thing I noticed in the PV start was that he had a lot of movement on his, on his fastball. It almost looked like he had a like his two seam looked like it cut a little bit more. And if that's how he's going to be going forward, um, 
you know, good luck, man. So, but he seemed like he was keeping it out away, but it looked like it had a lot more movement than it did before. And Kane, I didn't really notice from start to start uh, much different. It just looked like he was able to spot his pitches better than he has in the past. Um, it seemed like it to me. Yeah. And also just being able to stop, to stop the bleeding, let, not letting all those hits stack up, uh, you know, in a row, he was able to kind of mix it up enough that, you know, Seven hits is you know a lot of hits, but they weren't able to string them together really to get a, rally, a big rally going. And you know that's some days that's what you're going to do. You're not going to strike everybody out. So <laughs> kudos to Matt Cain. We're we're saying he's back. It's been two great starts. Jake Peavy, he's still on probation. Um, and the Giants five game winning streak. They're now twenty two and eighteen. Um, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens this week. The Padres. And then the Cubs, which, as you all know, I predicted the Giants will not defeat the Cubs at all this this year. So, <laughs> but they were able to avenge that Diamondback series. So who do you have for a player of the week? I think Matt Cain. I think two two good, you know, those two starts are were excellent. I think that that's what you're hoping to see from him. I think it was a great sign for this week, and it was a great sign for the future. Yeah, uh, I'll co-sign that. Um, I'll say honorable mention Joe Panic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then uh, I'd say the the worst game of the week. Oh, thankfully there is actually not much to choose from, guys. Um, that's <laughs> encouraging. Um, I'll say the well, the shutout loss to me was fine. So I'm going <laughs> to stick with still the worst game of the week being that Monday game, um, just yeah. because it was kind of just painful to watch and. And Jake PV, it just made it was painful to watch, man. So, uh, best game of the week? Do you have a nominee? I, I think I know what mine is. So, um, I liked I liked the Joe Panic Homer game. Well, which one? There were two choices. The the second the, one. The second, the, you the know, second, the yeah. oh my god, the, yeah. I can't believe he did that, Homer. Yeah. I'm gonna pick uh, yesterday's game because it was a painful. It was a it was a tough win. And, uh, and I think it was something that the Giants kind of needed. We didn't even talk about how the game ended yesterday, which could, oh, yeah. could be its whole thing about the replay nearly screwing the Giants uh, again. But uh, a, a double play to end the game, that wasn't called a double play at first base. Brandon Belt is really good at like staying on the bag for just a split second. And I'm sure, thank God they've instituted replay since that became known because... Right, right right before replay weren't you thinking like that's gonna screw the giants one day and now we have replay to like okay that's not gonna necessarily screw the giants um uh but the ump the best part of the whole thing it was a terrible thing it ended the game double play to end the game uh there was question of did crawford touch second base and did and did belt touch second first base or was he on the bag when the ball came in in any case so the giants could have been screwed twice but the ump couldn't even relay the call correctly (laughs) from the replay official. He still, when he was signaling at the end of the game, still called the guy, the runner safe at second and then out at first, which would have been the tying run still. And then did you see the other ump run into the frame and be like, no, 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 they're both out. Yeah. (laughs) When the ump pointed at second and did the safe signal, then he went to first to do the out. The other ump was like tugging on it on his, on his sleeve. No, no, out. No, no. Yeah. It was incredible. It was my favorite part. It, it was fantastic, and uh, and umpires are quickly. I think with replay now, if they keep making 
things like that. They're just going to be cartoon characters at this point. Um, so uh, let's just real quick, let's talk about this last thing. We've recapped the week, but we get to talk about something that's kind of generally baseball related, which I really want to cover for a few minutes here. And that is uh, Andrew Bagley tweeted out that this Friday, so it'll be the opening night against the Cubs on May 20th, will be the 10-year anniversary of Michael Barrett punching A.J. Pruszynski in the face. Um, <laughs> we get to talk about this because A.J. Pruszynski is a former Giant, so anything that's Giants-related is fair game on this podcast. And so that's what I want to talk about, because we're mentioning that 10-year anniversary, we get to either talk about A.J. Pruszynski or we get to talk about what Ronid Odor did to Jose Batista uh, in Sunday's game, uh, where, where Odor... Apollo creeded Jose Batista in the face, essentially. Um, I, if you didn't see it, find the video of it. But uh, it was a late slide. Jose Batista started the slide when he was basically already on second base. Um, and and they got into a bit of a scuffle. They were at their words exchange. And Batista put his hand on Odor's shoulder. And he was going to hit him or shove him or hit him. Mainly hit him. And Odor, <laughs> as soon as he was touched right hook knocked the sunglasses clean off his face i think the sunglasses went farther than the baseball bat uh batista tossed in the playoff game uh when he hit his home run but i want to talk about baseball's toughness and sort of that there are people who cheer for this uh and most of them are whiny piss baby pitchers uh because <laughs> because after the game or the their fox sports really did an analysis like they were really impressed by it and uh, and and then C.J. Nitkowski went online. He was talking about, see, we don't need these, and I'm quoting him, pansy rules to handle takeout slides at second base. Let the players settle it on the field. Uh, I just want to get to a larger thing. We can talk about the punch. We can talk about violence in baseball. But I really want to make it clear because I saw Mike Gianella and, or, or another national writer use this phrase. If you know nothing else, if you learn nothing else from this Croncast, it is that Major League Baseball players, pitchers, Major League Baseball pitchers are the biggest bullies in the sport. They are the problem, and they are all, to a person, whiny piss babies. That's the (laughs) phrase I want everyone to take away. Pitchers are whiny piss babies. Even Johnny Cueto with his glorious bubblegum gif. They are all all whiny piss babies. They, They get mad. When, uh, when their masculinity gets challenged and they get mad at so many other things. But when if, a, if Odor had punched a pitcher, do you think the reaction would be the same? <laughs> no. No, he punches a pitcher. It's, it'll be cheap shot. It'll be, oh, how could he do this? He's defenseless. It'll be, oh, come on. You can't do that. It's disrespecting the game. It's a sideshow. What is wrong with him? There'd be 40 think pieces about how he's ruining the game and the pitcher would get like one from slate or whatever the slate of the baseball world is about how, well, yeah, but he had some blame too. <laughs> I guess it's sports on earth. I don't know <laughs> who, who reads sports on earth anymore. I don't know. I can't believe that they still exist to be honest, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think it's, I'm using a, I'm, using a very random thing to get into this very strange conversation, but you know, it's, it's very strange, the morality police in baseball and make no mistake, the morality and police morality police in baseball are all pitchers. Uh, (laughs) That's it. They're 
find me a player who's doing the moral policing in baseball, uh, a position player. Uh, and you, if it is, it's AJ Pruszynski. And AJ Brzezinski <laughs> is the biggest doof around. Nobody likes that guy. And he's basically a bully. He's basically a pitcher uh, in his <laughs> attitude. Uh, you know, even something like these PEDs, uh, you know, Justin Verlander talking about how they need to tighten the rules because there shouldn't be any positive tests. I can't believe anybody uh, tests positive after doing the rules. There's no incentive for them not to cheat. And so, you know, Basically, pitchers are mad that people use PEDs because their ERAs are affected by it. That's the only reason why. Did you hear Justin Verlander also making a big deal when Jose Reyes gets a 30-game suspension for domestic violence, which is far more destructive to the rest of the world? And, you know, nope, you didn't hear any pitchers talking about it then, talking about how we should void his contract or this or that. None of that doesn't affect their ERAs. Meanwhile, you've got Puig and Bryce Harper forming an unlikely alliance to make baseball fun again. And the only people who are going to have issue with that are pitchers. Because bat so, tosses show them up and make them feel bad. So what you're saying is you are having some problems with pitchers? Sorry, it's just a little unclear. <laughs> oh, my problem is I'm using a random thing to like, let's let's think about when when you start to hear things about nationally about not liking things in baseball it's going to be out of the mouth of a pitcher more often than not uh and and uh i think we have a in a giant situation first we should all cheer aj Przinski getting punched in the face i want to I make really it clear to that. the original i really want to go back to the initial to the inciting thought here and that is that aj Przinski getting punched in the face if i ever meet michael barrett i will i will buy him a drink and he should probably get a drink wherever he goes um because anywhere he, in the country yeah, anywhere in the country i mean he was a hero after that um in my opinion aj Przinski doesn't get punched in the face enough so, <laughs> uh, but beyond that um this idea of that there is a right way and a wrong way to play baseball is being dictated by the biggest a-holes and whiny piss babies in the sport so the worst people, the ones you wouldn't want making those decisions are the ones deciding it because they're the ones throwing the hard projectile at 100 miles an hour at people's heads. That's where they get off. I have the power. Uh, you know, I have the badge and the gun, so I'm going to bully you into doing that. And I guess I can tie it into the Giants more is we do have a little bit of a concern there if you're a Giants fan who pays attention that that's Madison Bumgarner. And Madison Bumgarner could very easily be the next C.J. Nitkowski and being an insufferable jackass when it comes to how the game should be played. And he's been a little annoying in, in those ways. So I guess what I'm getting at is I think we're going to get into this wave, especially as the weather starts to heat up, about how the game should be played and how you should comport yourself. And this is a constant battle in baseball now more than ever, but there's even more scrutiny about having fun or playing the game the right way. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with Bumgarner, who's always got who's already got eyes on him. It'll be interesting to see how he goes, how he handles it going forward. I don't expect him to change how he behaves when uh he makes a mistake and a guy crushes a home run off of him. I think I'm on his side in the sense of Bumgarner does have a strong reaction. He gets mad at himself first, and then he gets upset that someone's reminding him that he messed up and he doesn't appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, and, 
but I think beyond that, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because there's people ready to just blow this thing up in a big way. And I can't say that that's entirely wrong because pitchers are bullies. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Hunter Strickland blocking people on Twitter because they don't like when he comes in and gives up two earned runs, you know, in a half inning or a third of an inning. You know, I, I get it. I, but I think we, we have enough evidence to to show, to demonstrate that uh, pitchers are the most sensitive baseball players uh, by far. It, it seems like it, yeah. Uh, and so when you see two position players punching each other out, you know what Jose Batista said afterward? He said, you know, he, he hit me fair and square. He didn't whine about it, essentially, <laughs> is what happened. And if, if that had been a pitcher, oh, my God, could you imagine? Like, it's everything you said. If But if a pitcher had been hit, not only would the – Media have been decrying it, but also the pitcher himself would have been like, you know, I just don't think that was right. (laughs) (laughs) Or we'll see what happens the next time he steps into the batter's box. Like that type of thing would happen. Right. Um, Yeah. And that was actually, that was actually a part of the fight today too, which is that the Rangers hit Bautista on purpose because they didn't like his bat flip from the playoffs last year. Which is an interesting thing to bring up because I think it was fine. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. that's yeah. He hit like the biggest home run of his career. He can flip his bat. You know, Buster Posey can stare at the grand slam that's going to clinch a playoff victory all he wants. He can take as long as he wants striding out of that batter's box. Right. Uh, credit to Matt Latos for not getting bent out of shape about that about Posey doing that. Um, no. Uh, credit to the Reds. That's like well, <laughs> that was sort of a no doubter. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and Barry Bonds pirouetting, uh, out of the batter's box against the Dodgers. There are things, certain actions in baseball require, or certain events require certain actions. And I think <laughs> pitchers should just be okay with that. All right. Thanks for listening to that rant and absorbing it. Uh, we will be back next week. Um, I oh, think hold on. Gonna... We, we have one Twitter question. Oh, we have a Twitter question. Go for it. So, sorry. We did, uh, we did ask for Twitter questions too late to really get any in. But the one we got was from at PHX Giant, Albazon. Why do New York review crews hate the Giants? Is it the bellyache they get from eating garlic fries while at AT AT&T? I have to say, they don't seem like they hated the Giants yesterday. No. No, and and I guess my big thing with that is in other broadcasts, and that is that they tend to tell the the broadcasters the reasoning. Like the Mets games, the Mets get a – or a description of the of the review and we don't the west coast teams don't so it's a very strange uh situation they've got there with the replays i just think they don't pay attention to west coast games like i think they half watch i really do it's based in new york and i think they're just i don't know what they're doing but i to me it's, they're tired it's late they want to yeah. go to bed but even during the day they're like oh <laughs> like they <laughs> resent that it's earlier <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the Giants have had a lot of bad luck with the replay because I certainly think that there have been some kind of questionable, yeah. you know, kind of either way calls, judgment calls. But we've certainly seen judgment calls go specific ways that would favor teams and uh, and just hasn't quite broke the Giants way, um, which is very unfortunate. Um, so in my general opinion I don't think they have anything out for it. I think the replay needs to get a lot better. But this is already a long podcast. We could talk about how. 
um, yeah. <laughs> some other time. Uh, we had one other question that from last week, but I think we can skip it. Someone had asked a question what our front favorite front office position would be or what we want to do. Listen to the uh, podcast with my buddy Joe. We answered that oh, question yeah. already. So uh, there's one. And then, uh, oh, here's a good one. This is from at Tizzle Drizzle from May 10th. Thomas asks us, what do you think Hunter Pence's favorite cereal is? And he thinks this is important. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, I'm not sure why, but what's coming to mind for me? Um, tricks. Tricks. That's a great, that's a great call for my, the first thing that came to my mind was Captain Crunch, but I, I'm okay. going to go, I'm going to go with tricks. I think tricks is, um, um, oh no, it's, it's gotta be lucky charms because I think he loves saying they're magically delicious. I think he would, like I, I his, think so. Yeah. And I think he gets really excited every time he finds a rainbow. <laughs> uh, I, I also wonder if he eats them the best way to eat, uh, Lucky Charms, which is you eat all the regular cereal first. So you just have a bowl of soggy marshmallow afterward. <laughs> That's the best way to eat Lucky Charms if you don't eat them that way. That's the best way. Um, all right. Those are your questions. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Doug, where can they find you? Uh, I am on Twitter at, at MoonwalkMcFly, and I also write on McCubby Chronicles. All right. I am at Every Sixth Day, and I occasionally write for... Uh, McCovey Chronicles. I'm still bummed about my last article not working out, but uh, <laughs> the Giants might sign Tim Lincecum, so it all works out. Anyway, all right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back after the Giants play the Padres and the Cubs. Oh my God. Thanks for listening. <laughs>